Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahay. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to interview yet another amazing guest today. Uh, today we've got Professor Sir Chris Husbands. Chris has taken time out of his extremely busy calendar to join us to give some leadership essential bites, if you like, uh, for new and aspiring and seasoned uh, leaders out there. Uh, Chris has been the Vice Chancellor for SHU for a few years now, but uh, he's actually held senior positions, senior leadership positions in four universities. And now Chris has got uh, an incredible task of leading several thousand people to deliver the best services possible to their student population. Chris, thanks very much for being on the uh, on the podcast, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. As you know, I've been delivering some leadership uh, uh, programs for Sheffield Hallam University for your staff, and you've come as a guest speaker. You've taken time out, which I think is incredible, to speak on some of these programs, and I was I was really blown away by some of the content. So what I want to do is really unpack some of the 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 the, the, the giveaways that you had and some of the, your thoughts around leadership. But my number one one uh, task is or number one question really is about leadership and you've been a leader for nigh on what is it three decades something like that close to <laughs> I'm very old I'm very old <laughs> you and I both you and I both well listen what do you think if, if somebody were to ask you what you think is the greatest leadership task what do you think that would be you can start with a, something that's quite trite but leadership's about people and just to frame that in a a slightly more sophisticated way um, leadership is about getting the best out of people and people who are different. Uh, they're different in background, they're different in motivation, they're different in engagement, they're different in trajectory, different in confidence, different in competence, different in faith, different, different, all sorts of respects. Um, and our job as leaders is to lead them, to get the very best out of them, to enable them to be more successful, more capable and more effective as individuals and as groups than they ever believed they could be. And it's simply put, but the leadership task is the leadership of people. And that's true whether you're running a university, whether you're running a police service, whether you're running a private sector company, whether you're running a hospital, whether you're running a hospice, whether you're running a community group. Your job as a leader is to get the best out of people. And you might sometimes, uh, and we all do this, don't we, say, well, I wish I had different people. Um, I wish I didn't have Chris on my team because he's really problematic. But that's to evade the leadership task. Your job as a leader is to lead people and to get the very best out of them and to get them to a position where they, where they achieve more and do better than they ever thought they could. And that turns out to be a really complicated and challenging task. And it is the most difficult thing any of us will ever do. And that makes it the most interesting thing that any of us will ever do. I love how you've talked about it being the simple 
task of a leader, but how complex it becomes uh, in, in terms of implementing and fulfilling that task. And you're so right. You know, I, I absolutely believe that leadership, and particularly the higher up you go as a leader, it becomes less about the technical skills, and it becomes more and more about your ability to influence people. I also want to touch upon uh, something that you've said. You've described people in this in this rainbow of uh, of diversity, uh, and you know whenever we talk about diversity traditionally, we will f- focus in on protected characteristics. I sometimes get a bit frustrated with that, Chris, because I think it homogenizes, compartmentalizes people. But we, the way you've described what I call diversity is in its own uniqueness, in, in so much as every single person is unique. And understanding that as a leader and getting the best out of these people in their individual unique, uniqueness is the real task. The protected characteristics under the 2010 Act are, are sort of incredibly, uh, they're incredibly important. Uh, and we've all lived through uh, and societies have been characterised by um, circumstances in which people with certain characteristics have been extraordinarily badly treated. And it's incredibly important yeah. that, that we put race and gender and sexuality and so on absolutely at the core of what we do, that we think about uh, protected characteristics. But, but it is also true that these things are heuristics. They are devices to remind you that uh, you've got to be very attuned to individual need and those individual needs can present in a whole range of different ways and a whole range of intersecting ways uh, and being alert to that. So I find the Equality Act incredibly helpful as a leader because it's a reminder, you know, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged straight white male. Um, I'm, I'm part of a group which has historically had it pretty easy uh, and so it, it, it I have to, I, I have to remember that that I am working with people for whom that is that is not the case. But that's a device, or, or it for me, it's one of the devices that remind you that we need to celebrate and include uh, people. We need to celebrate diversity, and we need to make sure that we are as inclusive as we can possibly be in our decision making. Doesn't mean that we should evade difficult decisions, but it means that we have to be attuned to the complexity of them. Yeah, so the Equality Act gives us a pathway, it serves as a reminder that we need to be more inclusive, but actually taking that down uh, and taking on the personal responsibility of a, an extraordinary leader is taking that down into a deeper level and understanding that everyone is different. And even people's within certain sort of protected characteristics, they will not be homogenous. They will have individualities themselves. So what I pick from what you describe in terms of that task of being a leader are three key things. One is around inclusion, and I think you've described that very eloquently, the whole concept of inclusivity. Uh, another thing that was within that statement that you just made, something about helping people to achieve beyond their their own limited thinking or their own perception of what their potential is uh, and that uh, is around motivating inspiring uh, and also creating the right environment in which people can excel and people can grow do you want to just touch upon those two what what, what are the important aspects of those for, for you come in a slightly different way so earlier in my career um there was a sort of I, and that comes quite a long way through, through your career you get this stock interview question when you're applying for a job, which goes something like this. Can you talk to me, talk to the panel, about an occasion on which you've significantly improved the performance of a member of staff in your team? Uh, and, 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 I, and I can remember giving answers 
to, to those questions and sometimes I got the job and sometimes I didn't. And the textbook answer to the question goes a bit like this. You need to identify the gap between current performance and desired performance. Uh, you need to be clear about that gap. You need to set targets. You need to monitor those targets. You need an action plan. And ACES, I get that. Uh, the longer I have gone on, the more flawed I think uh, that is as a way of thinking about how you get the best out of people. Because uh, by and large, um, if people knew there was a gap, they'd close it. Right? You know, basically, if people knew how to pull their socks up, they'd pull their socks up. So there's something else going on uh, in, in situations where performance is poor. And, and, and I think that what is often going on are, are, are situations in the way the environment is described. And I think that although i absolutely clear that, that there are instances where, where that sort of set targets, monitor, improve, uh, plays a part, there's some other things going on in, 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 in issues of performance. It may be about job design. It may be around issues of team uh, dynamics. It may be around issues of, of organisational um, of organizational characteristics and if all those things are going on you know however hard an individual tries to improve their performance the fact is it's only going to take them a part of the way so it's really important as a leader that you are able to step back and think about the culture the environment the framework in which you're working and you've got to be prepared to address some of those pretty fundamental issues i'm not letting anybody off the hook for poor performance because uh, i'm absolutely clear that the uh, high quality organisations need high quality performance and, and, and that, that is incredibly important but, but you can't solve these problems by pathologising them you have to solve them by thinking about the way you get the best out of the organisation the way you get, about, get the best out of people and that's about culture as much as it's about performance now I want to touch upon this uh, this this formula that you you often describe in your talks. So so you've come up with this formula, and I think it really encapsulates everything. You very often talk about the three Ps, the two bubbles, and the one core idea. So let's unpack this because I think there's a lot of learning that comes from this. I love the three Ps. So if we just focus in on the three Ps, what are the three Ps, and how and why are they so important? So I think leadership's really challenging. I think it's really difficult. I think it's difficult for everybody. And anybody who says they find it easy is probably not doing it properly. Uh, somebody, another another basic question uh, in, in interviews is, give me an, give me a circumstance where you've had to have challenging conversations with people. Well, if you're a successful leader, absolutely every conversation should be challenging. Uh, yeah, it's not just about performance. So I try to say, that in this complicated situation, make it simple. And it's my three, two, one. So my three P's, let's start start there. I think there are three things that, 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 that are integral. Um, three P's, and I call them purpose, people, and performance. And they interlock. They're all dependent on each other. They all matter. And if you take any one of them away, you end up with a flawed model. So we should think about purpose. What are we trying to achieve? Where are we trying to add value? That's fundamental. We should think about people because they are the ways in which we achieve our purpose. And we should think about performance because it's the way we measure our progress towards uh, the realisation of our, of our mission. So purpose, people, performance are my three Ps. If you take any one of those away, um, and you can see this in organisations, things go wrong. So if you just focus on people and performance, without thinking about your moral driving purpose, then you rapidly get into game playing and cynicism. You think about short-term performance measures and so on. 
if you take away people and just think about purpose and performance you get into authoritarianism you get into yes. bossiness you get into people who say we need these indicators because we are driven entirely by purpose if you take away performance and just focus on people and purpose you end up with waffle you end up with a lack of focus so for me purpose people performance is the way i crystallize the, the core of the leadership task. That is what, what do we think about as leaders? It is purpose, people, performance, and they all interlock. When I first heard you describing the three Ps, Chris, um, I sort of imagined it in my head with all of the organisations that I've ever been in or worked with, and they absolutely make sense. They absolutely make sense because, you know, you're talking about performance. If you take away performance, actually, you end up with an organization that's meandering, that's a bit lost in terms of where it's going. Uh, and you're not focusing in on the bottom line, if you like, or your KPIs. But if you're driven all the way down to the KPIs uh, and it's all about that and the, uh, the purpose of the organization, you lose your people and you can either burn your people out, you can exhaust your people, or you'll lose trust within the organization, which has a longer term uh, implication. So um, for me, the three Ps, any, any organization can have a long, hard look at themselves and say, so where are we struggling? And then take it back to the three Ps and say, so which of these elements are we beginning to miss out of the equation? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and the model doesn't sort of give you answers. Um, no. It gives you a device. It gives you um, a, tool, a, a, a heuristic for saying, where do we focus? And, I re and because I think that as soon as you get into any situation, as soon as you get into any leadership challenge, uh, you get complexity crushing in on you. So at the core of this, hold on to the, the, the simple ideas. Uh, and, you, and as I say, if, if you keep purpose, people, performance in your mind, you ain't, you're not going to go far wrong. That's what you're about. That's what we ought to be about as leaders. So now let's take that to another level. So the second element of that are your two bubbles. Just talk through your two bubbles. The way these fit in is purpose, people, and performance is what we're about. So the next question is, what are the tools that we've got as leaders? And, um, you know, I used to... Uh, when I was a little boy, uh, going to my dad's shed uh, where he'd got lots of woodworking tools. And he always, always had the right tool for the job. That's the sort of man and the sort of woodworker he was. And, and there were different sorts of chisel and there were different sorts of screwdriver. There were different sorts of saw. Uh, there were different sized hammers. That resonates so well with me. The problem is that as leaders, we've only got two tools, actually. It's, it's, yeah, and, 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 and the two tools are support and challenge. Given the task is the leadership of people, the only two tools you've got are support and challenge. Now, that ought to make it simple, but the really difficult question always is, is when do you use those tools and how do you use them in balance, and we'll come back to that a bit later. So uh, the f your first tool is support, right? And I absolutely, we as leaders absolutely need to support our people. So support is where you're encouraging, you're building self-belief, you're building self-confidence. So it's taking interest, it's making mm. time to listen, it's suspending judgment, it's asking reflective questions, it's creating trust, it's recognizing and expressing feelings, it's showing you that I care about you, I'm on your side, I've got your back. 
really important set of tool tool in the leadership toolbox. Your second tool is challenge. And challenge is different. Challenge is about setting a process in motion. It's pace setting. It's about providing motivation and energy. It's about agreeing, stretching goals, asking tough questions, having high expectations, pushing performance, giving tough feedback. Now, and you use these tools in relation to each other. So if you've got a high performing thing, challenge is still important because that's where we're gonna go from really good performance to absolutely knock your stocks off performance. Sometimes when you've got a high performing team, it's gonna be about building yet more self-confidence and self-belief. Where you're looking at some performance challenges, where you're looking at, uh, has, again, you've got challenge and support. So, so those are your two tools and that's all you've got. Um, you know, and, it, and in that sense, it is, it is a bit like playing the piano. You've got two hands. How do you use them in combination with each other? Um, sometimes it's written for you, that's right. But if you're, if you're riffing, if you're, if you're jazz, you, you get the relationship between the, between the two. So my two tools are support and challenge. And I don't think there's anything else. Okay, that's interesting. So just to bring that down into some sort of, in a sense that our listeners can, can exemplify in their own mind, picture it in their own mind. How have you used these two tools in the work that you've done with in, in your leadership journey, for example? It's a, it's a really hard question to answer in specific, um, but um, I've made myself increasingly aware of when I am getting the balance between support and challenge. I think support is a more powerful tool than challenge in most cases, uh, because what you and my team need to know is that I've got your back. The, I've set okay. the I've set the direction. We've agreed what we're doing. We've agreed the process. We've generated the energy, and now you need to. That I'm going to back you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to drive you. And more and more, I find myself focusing on how do I give really, really good support. And, and I think that in many organisations and in many teams, there's a lot of lip service paid to support. But the notion that I really believe in you, and when I do really believe in you, then I can have some really tough conversations as well. Because mm -hmm. we don't, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry that I'm trying to catch you out. You don't need to worry that the um, that the support is really challenging disguise. I'm going to tell you, look, I really support you, Carl, but you've let me down. If I say that in a really high trust relationship, that works. If I say it in a low trust relationship, we're in some difficulty. And you mentioned a magic word there, and that is trust. How do you build trust in an organisation? Because I agree with you, it's critical to have a high trust relationship or a high trust culture. How would you go about building trust in your organisation? Trust is absolutely critical. Um, and uh, it's not to be seen as separate from purpose, people and performance. Uh, and, and, and I've seen lots of instances where people think trust is a one-way street that trust means being able to do what I want to do. No, trust means being able to work together to achieve our overarching mission. You've got to begin with purpose. You've got to begin with culture. You've got to begin by creating a framework in which team is absolutely essential. So, so, so that you, and, and the more time you spend listening to each other, spending time together, getting comfortable with each other, understanding each other's strengths and weaknesses, and, and the really best, the best teams we see on the sports fields, they instinctively know 
not, not everybody tries to on a football field not everybody tries to be the goalkeeper not everybody tries to be the striker not everybody tries to pass the long ball you know who's best to do this and you put them in a position so they can achieve because that is what the, t- the team is about I think you're so you're so on the ball <laughs> excuse the pun there uh, if there's one thing that we noticed with the England team uh, with the last competition that they're involved in that really stood out for me was the culture within that team this culture of trust of uh, mutual respect across the team and this 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 intuition as you you you, you sort of describe as to what is going on on the field with each other uh, and i think that's what made the england team so strong and and the, the one thing was around the penalties when we when we you know fell out because of the penalties it was the response that we got from the leader but also the rest of the team members and that for me was a a really good indication of the level of trust that existed within that team yeah I think Gareth Southgate was a phenomenal manager but not in the sort of um, bite your heels off type of football manager facilitative and I think that a lot of the coverage it's we're right to praise Gareth I think he did a really really impressive job but it's the it's the culture that Gareth Southgate created that matters is it's more than the individual now of course there's, there's an interrelationship between the two but it's about it's an environment in which pe- people feel empowered and trusted to succeed around a common purpose purpose people performance and and finally that would then take us down into that one core task so for them, the one core task would be winning the competition or playing together as a as a solidified team. So just talk to me about this one core idea, the one core task. In one sense, purpose, people, performance and challenge and support take you a long way down this road. But you've still got this problem. Is my understanding of the situation right? Mm. You know, have I got the relationship between the three Ps right in my head? Have I got the relationship between challenge and support right in my head? Am I really clear about this? What do I do? How do I test out? And so the one bit of information, this is not original, this is from my very good friend, uh, runs Leadership Matters, a guy called Andy Buck, uh, Ask First, right? And in one sense, if I was extending this idea, it would be ask first, ask second, ask third. The most important thing you do as a leader is you keep asking questions. You keep, so you've got to keep testing out as to whether your own understanding, your own instinctive perception of a situation is well-grounded. Have I got it right? And we all like to get to answers. And we, we make out know, the, the, the evidence from uh, behavioral psychology is we make our minds up about things far more quickly than we're yes. aware. You've got to try, ask first. Ask first, ask second, ask third. So the advice I would always give to leaders is if you're stuck, you don't know what to do, ask. What's going on? What's the situation? What's so rude? What's troubling you? How can I help? What do you need? What, where, 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 do you, have you, are we clear about our purpose? What do you think of the performance issues here? What are the people, yeah, keep asking and the more you ask. And the, 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 the book I um, always fall back on is uh, the Chicago leadership guru Ed Shine's book uh, on helping. 
the process model of consultancy. And he keeps saying, yeah, you just keep asking. And of course, the purpose of your questions has, is twofold. It's to inform yourself, but it is also to ask the other person increasing, with increasing clarity to articulate their ideas. Yeah, and the more you ask, I'm guessing what you're doing is you're helping the other person to really think through the concept that they might have, to think that bit deeper. And it's a bit like coaching, isn't it, in that sense? More comes out the more you ask. But it's about asking in the right way. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's those, uh, yeah, you stay curious. Uh, be inquisitive. Don't use your question. We often manage to ask questions that impose answers and that's not what I'm in talking about it's, it's you ask in a way that's genuinely tell me a bit more about that I need to understand I'm not quite sure I'm quite grasping how you're seeing this can you tell me more really fascinating stuff Chris we could be talking about this all day long but I want to touch on, on, on something which I think is incredibly important uh, for leaders within themselves and then to uh, uh, spread across their organisation. And that is the, 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 the issue of values. Now, as a leader, I think having a great depth of self-awareness is critical. And, you know, you talk about being constantly curious. Absolutely. That's the only way that we are going to grow. Uh, but where do values sit for you? And how are they exemplified or aligned within the organisation Sheffield Hallam University for you? So we've done some work um, to clearly articulate our institutional values, which we did in a, in a pretty open and consultative way. Um, and and it's, it's, it's fascinating work because you discover that many of the words that we use to describe values need an awful lot of uh, bottoming out, you know, that the, mm. there are words that we use that turn out we turn out to have very very different understandings of. So so really spending time, uh, are we sure what these mean? Can we exemplify them? And, and I don't think that that time is is in an organisation is is ever wasted. And and you need to revisit them with the best will in the world. You know, you, can, you can easily put the values up on a a wall or uh, on, a, on, a, on a website and you lose sight of them when the first crisis uh, and you know as a leader expect don't, don't become a leader if you only want good news because you know, that's, that's not what it's about yes so so spending time work, working that through uh, and making uh, uh, but the values have to uh, I try to keep these models simple uh, if I was making this one more complicated, my purpose people performance has to sit is a, is a teacup sitting on the saucer of shared values. But they've got to be articulated and you've got to live them. And, and uh, I, I, I see one thing that, um, one of the really interesting questions that gets to me is this question of why should anybody be led by you? That's a powerful question. That's a really powerful question. And there is nothing, there is nothing that your team will get to more quickly than a gap between what you say and what you do. So you've got to be authentic as a leader. Now, I'm not telling you how to lead. I wouldn't dream of doing that. I, I'm one of the things that I'm constantly, uh, constantly driven, uh, interested in is the way in which I learn about leadership. I don't want to tell people about leadership. I want to learn about it. There are lots of people infinitely better at it than me 
but 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 that sense you've got to be authentic the values have got to be aligned with what you're trying to achieve and the way you try to achieve them and the merest gap people will spot mm. and you know bob Mankas had this great joke didn't he which is you know if you can fake authenticity you've got it made but 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 actually you can't fake authenticity and your team will spot it. I think increasingly now, uh, post-COVID, I think people are even more attuned to authentic people. They're even more attuned to, to sussing out who is and what is authentic or not, as the case may be. And I'm not entirely sure what's gone on over the last two years, but I think people value authenticity more and they're more attuned at, at, at uh, gauging levels of authenticity. Would you agree? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. And one, I said to you, I'm always learning. I haven't thought that one through and, and probably talked about it enough. I, I, I'm really, I, I don't think that we collectively have yet worked through the entire experience of the pan- the pandemic and, and it, it's the, the, there's a lot there's a long way to go and and i think this question about what is different what is going to be the same what do we want to hang on to these things are challenging and difficult and there is a long way to go to work work them out I'm, I'm pretty clear that whatever ideas people like me who have responsibility for leading organizations have the answer has got to be collective and collaborative you know I've got my own views absolutely on that um, but but they've got to be tested and it's not a free-for-all it's driven by purpose, people, and performance. Those leadership concepts keep coming to the fore. If there's one thing that uh, the people can take away in the current era that we're living through right now and from this podcast are essentially, for me, the three Ps. If you start with nothing else, start with the three Ps and really start asking yourself, if something is not quite right in my organisation, in my team, in the performance then what is it that I'm lacking? What is it that's lacking here within the three Ps? And how can we regain that balance? Uh, Professor, I want to thank you so much for your valuable time and your insight into leadership. I hope that uh, a lot of the listeners will take uh, some value from what you've said. I certainly do. Uh, In fact, I've been already using the three Ps in some of the conversations I've been having with people. I just think they are so simple, yet so clear and so powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.